gentlemen. I uh, I got here this morning and I was grateful. A, it wasn't raining too hard, and B, there are all these new electronics. And I said, well, good, we'll watch football. And so uh, I want to thank all the people who came to my rescue this morning to get the electronics working. We've just gotten the audio working. And so today is going to be a good day because the things that need to work are going to work. And it's a a great way to start that out. Um, We're going to do some quick introductions this morning, and we're going to play a little bit of uh, relay. I'm going to introduce the person responsible for the weekend's activities But first, I'm going to thank the person responsible for the last big weekend. If you will recall, this is our second men's breakfast technically in the month of February. When we got together at the beginning of the month, we were kicking off an amazing weekend of Alter Your Life. I don't know how many people got involved, but I had a house full of ninth grade boys. And I must say, the ninth grade boy model that visited my house was different than the ninth grade boy model I grew up with. <laughs> and so it was, it was a real pleasure to get to know them at this height, this height, this height. And at least one guy that was 6'4", I was really looking up to him. And their college leader was inspirational. He drove up with a van full of fellows, I guess, I don't know, guys or girls, from Orlando because... Doing all to your life experiences is a part of what he does beyond his day job. And I was so impressed by how he interacted with those young men. And so I give thanks for that, and I want to thank Jason for all the hard work that he and his staff and the hundreds of volunteers, I feel like, that were involved in doing that. The food, the, the fellowship, people staying at people's houses, it was just an astonishing event. So um, if you didn't get to do that this year, I hope we will all get to do it next year. So thank you, Jason, for being here this morning. Thank you, all you guys, for all your help. Uh, So so this weekend is GIC. And so let me introduce to you... uh, Dr. Reverend Marion Brown. No, no doctor. No, no doctor. No, no, doctor. All right, sorry. The uh, just re- that's the husband. Okay. Um, let me introduce Marion Brown. I'm, I'm sure you've, you've you've heard of her from the musical. No, that's a different Marion Brown. All right, sorry. Marion, would you come up and uh, let us know what's going on this weekend? Thank you. Thank you very much for letting me be a part of your men's breakfast. As I've told many of you, I won't tell anyone the secret handshakes or passwords. So thank you for being hospitable for um, Nancy and I to join you this morning. And really, you are the kickoff for Global Impact Celebration for serving side by side. And it's wonderful to have a group of men serving side by side, eating side by side, and coming together uh, for community. So thank you. Uh, I am here to introduce to you our Global Missions Team Chair, Chris Liner. Uh, Chris has been involved in many different ministries of the church. He's been a longtime church member, and I'm thankful to him because uh, he was a part of my interview team and allowed me to come and serve side-by-side with you all. Chris um, and Art both are among you and on the team art is our treasure all weekend you will notice that there are people with lanyards that say serving side by side if you have any questions about our weekend you can go find one of those members and they will answer all of your questions that you may have Um, but be a part of friday be a part of saturday you're going to hear all about that more but i can't thank you for being here and i'm very pleased and honored to pass it to chris liner all right. 
Yeah, so if you haven't figured it out already, Amerian's pretty amazing and uh, has really <laughs> injected uh, uh, energy and, and willingness to serve and, and just motivated all of us that uh, have the privilege of working closely with her. And uh, thanks to Nancy for for uh, finding Marion and, uh, and bringing her to us. So, um, so I know most of you. Um, I've been here 35 years. My wife and I joined the church in the mid-'80s, and, and uh, have, uh, I grew up Catholic and, uh, and came here and found a very comfortable home in Wesleyan theology and, uh, and uh, love all of you guys and everything this church stands for. So um, as we got involved in missions, um, uh, we really got to see the outreach that the church does to the, to the lost, to those in need, and, and just our neighbors here in the community. So this weekend that you're, you're going to encounter here is about our, our mission partners, um, how they and we together impact our community. And um, you're going to get to meet some pretty incredible people this weekend. One of those is an organization called Street Grace, um, who you're going you're gonna to hear uh, Mr. Bob Rogers uh, speak here in a second. Some of you may have heard him last year. Um, this, is a, this is an organization that uh, deals with some of the stuff we don't like to talk about, uh, human trafficking, um, and, um, you know, uh, sexually oriented things that are uncomfortable in a lot of social situations. And all I would say as you, as you listen to this, um, think about how you as, as men in the church can become involved in this ministry. Um, I'll come back at the end and, and tell you how I've been involved uh, as one of the few men that have gone out on, on some of our teams. Um, but listen carefully to Bob's message because sometimes he pulls punches on the demand side of this equation. And you're going to find out that the demand side of this sexual trafficking equation is what makes the whole engine turn. So somebody's got to have money to create an incentive to have this happen. And if you listen carefully, it's going to shock you because he's talking about us. He's talking about affluent white guys. This is not them somewhere else that we can palm this off on. This is us. So listen carefully to the message, and, uh, and, I, and I hope you're a little shocked by it because it should be shocking. Uh, but I want to introduce uh, Mr. Bob Rogers, uh, President and CEO of Street Grace. So. I think we will just jump right in and test the technology. That way we know if it's going to work or not. So we'll watch this real quick. The day I was arrested was by far the most horrible day of my life. But that's where the healing began. Find uh, a young prostitute, do the deed, and then I would go to the drugstore and buy junk food to make me feel better because I knew what I was doing was wrong. When I grew up or when I was growing up, I knew where the monsters were, right? They were under the bed. They were in my closet. Now they work with us. They attend church with us. They play little league sports with us. Um, and, and they shop where we shop. I was raised well. And I could tell when I went to college that I had a foundation that a lot of kids didn't have. Immediately got a job and started working a year later out of college. But I didn't realize the um, 
pressures that come with life. I had no coping skills. was the way that I used to escape the pressures, the job pressures, the family pressures, the personal pressures that I was facing. The mission of Street Race is simple. It's to eradicate the commercial sexual exploitation of children. If there are no buyers, there is no trafficking. We're presenting to over 50,000 kids a year between the ages of 12 and 18. I was charged with soliciting an undercover police officer. I was just furious with myself because, the, you know, the ruse was up. I ended up getting divorced. Uh, I was put out of the house. What made me reach out was the fact that I couldn't cover up the deception. I ended up at uh, Sexaholics Anonymous. There is life after being caught. You can rebuild your life. I've done it with God's help. The Atlanta area has a $290 million illegal underground sex economy. This isn't a cause. This is evil. This is people using and disposing of people as if they're commodities and then walking away and moving on to the next victim. I had to undo some of the wrongs that I did. We all need to wrestle with the question, now I know, what am I going to do? So I think it's really important to kind of kick off with the idea that... <clears throat> This is not a condemnation a condemnation session. This is not a finger-pointing session. This is a call to action because, I mean, if we're just totally, totally transparent, um, this is a man's problem. Men are the overwhelming consumers of pornography. Men are the overwhelming abusers whether it's domestic violence or sexual abuse of boys and girls and women. Men are overwhelmingly, um, I'll talk a minute about one of the initiatives that we have where we do work to identify buyers of sex and traffickers. Out of the 15,000 calls that we've intercepted manually of people calling in to purchase sex with a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, 99% of those that are calling in are men. So it's a call to action. It's not, I don't want you to leave here feeling like you've just gotten beat up because that's not my intention. If that's what happens, I've miscommunicated something. If we leave here with the sense that there's a group of men who have a little better understanding of what's occurring, a little better understanding of what it looks like, and that candidly no longer say that it's not occurring here, it must just be occurring there, then we've made great, great progress. You are not too old and you are not too young and your career profession doesn't dictate how you can have an impact in this space. Every one of us can do something. We can do different things and we can bring different gifts. Street Grace, just so that you have a context through it for it, our, our mission is to eradicate the commercial sexual exploitation of children, okay? But to focus on that mission which is under the larger umbrella of sexual exploitation or human trafficking, 
you kind of have to have a variety of programs and a variety of approaches. But the way that we see this so that you know what our lens is, the way that we look at this issue of sexual exploitation is, A, we're Christ-centered. So we believe that Christ is at all times attempting to redeem all things back to himself. So in every situation and every circumstance, we don't believe that God is not present. Um, It's a really, really hard thing to hear. But when exploitation and when abuse and when rape is occurring, we believe that God is present. We believe as God is present in the lives of those people. We want to see a heaven, okay? This is a harder thing to say if it was 75 women and two men sitting in the room, but, but, but we, want to, we want to see a heaven where there are survivors of sexual exploitation and abuse present. We want to see a heaven where buyers of sex and people that have participated in exploitation have repented and have been provided a new heart. We want to see a heaven where people who have trafficked and and intentionally, strategically exploited people have repented and are in heaven. If we don't approach it that way, we can't find a solution. Law enforcement can't arrest enough people to to make this problem go away. Legislators can't write enough laws to make this go away. We can't police ourselves in or out of it. This is a community-based problem. So we view this as Christ-centered. The second lens that we see the issue through is is child-focused. So everything that we do specifically targets 12 to 18-year-olds, minors. Federal law says that anyone underneath the age of 18 can't even consent. Okay. So if you're engaged in some sort of a commercial sexual act with anyone underneath the age of 18, it's a felony. Georgia goes a step further and says it's a felony whether you knew their age or not. Deniability in the state of Georgia is not a defense. It's unacceptable. It doesn't matter if they showed you a fake ID. It doesn't matter if they lied to you. If they're underneath the age of 18, it's a felony punishable by up to 40 years in prison and $100,000 in fines. So Georgia's doing a good job of taking the steps that are necessary. And then the third thing um, is that we're demand-centric. So everything that we do focuses on ending the demand. And you do that, all the programs and initiatives that we have rest on one of three pillars. One, pillars. one of them is prevention and protection. So last year we presented to about 90 92,000 people and about 55, 57,000 of them were between the ages of 12 and 18. So it's this idea of prevention, protection, understanding what this is. Education is an incredibly powerful thing for kids. We're in schools almost every week of the year, sometimes multiple schools a week. I cannot think of an exception, public or private, Christian or non, I cannot think of an exception where we've been to a middle school or a high school and we've gone in and done some training and educated kids on what sexual exploitation is at the age-appropriate level, but what improper touch is, what sexual abuse is, what molestation is, what talking about sexting, sextortion, and all of these kind of things. I can't think of an example where at the end of the conversation there hasn't been a line of kids that will ask questions And then you always see the one or two or the three kids in the back that no matter who comes forward, they let somebody get in front of them 
and they keep letting somebody else get in front of them. And then they're the last people in the room, and they just look at you and say, I don't know what to do. I've never told this to anyone, but here's what's happening. We were just four, three or four miles up the road just a few months ago at a high school, and we presented to about 350 kids, and five, five came forward. This is one of the most underreported crimes in the country on the planet, but five came forward. And fortunately, the school had protocols and things in place to know what to do with that. But I think it's important just to give a brief context to all of the things that we'll talk about. So I do want to just hit, just so that there's not ambiguity about it, what is sex trafficking? The legal definition, it's the, the recruitment, harboring, transportation, provision, or patronizing or soliciting a person for the purpose of a commercial sex act. What makes it commercial? The exchange of money, but what makes it commercial also is the promise or the exchange of anything of value. So what could that be? It could look like food. It could look like clothing. It could look like an iPhone. It can look like a locally a a high school math teacher who tells a 12th grade girl you have to have a, you have to pass my class to graduate you've got an f i know how you can get a b it can be a university professor in downtown georgia a uh, downtown atlanta that has 3 of his students in an in an apartment that he rents in dunwoody georgia and when they're not in class they're there and they're seeing 12 to 15 men a day and they get an a in every class of his that they take. It can be all kinds of things, um, but it's the promise or the exchange. Um, force, fraud, or coercion, as you hear even news stories, What it was just a couple of days ago that there was a story that broke again about an arrest in Roswell of a man that was arrested in Roswell for human trafficking. He had a 19-year-old victim, and I think there was an underage victim who was being held in his house and that he was forcing them to work at adult clubs and then to sell themselves for sex or he was selling them for sex here and he had other people out of state that he was responsible for but that was right here in Roswell force fraud or coercion force is what you would think of it can be physical restraint it can be somebody who is who is um, kept in a house if you think about the illicit massage business um, which there's probably 350 or 400 of those around Metro Atlanta we all probably drove past at least one on the way in this morning okay it's the massage parlor it's not it's not the legitimate businesses this isn't a this isn't an across the board indictment but it's the massage parlor that has the dark tinted windows or the curtains that are pulled all during the day and the doors blacked out and there's a neon sign that says open um and roswell and alfreda and sandy springs are beginning to take some uh, a, a hard look at some city ordinances these things are hard to run out of town um, because you close one here and it opens, you know, the next the next strip plaza down the road. But they're beginning to look at some city ordinances that can allow these things to to be more difficult to operate, if not run them out of business. You're not allowed to tint the windows. You're not allowed to darken the front of the store the store space. Um, these unusual and odd hours and things like that that allow folks to go in and not prosecute but to run the businesses out of town. And you see some of that occur even in this general area with the adult establishments, even of late. Um, and then fraud. 
you'll hear about that frequently, again, especially in the illicit massage business where you'll hear somebody that'll say, hey, there's a better life. Come with me. Let me help you. Um, there are, as we sit here today, ads that are run all over China that say, come to the U.S. and tour the United States of America on a one-year trip, um, at a, a, a chaperone trip around the U.S., all of that's true. The problem is when they land at the airport, their papers, their passport, their visas, and everything are taken from them. They're immediately taken to an apartment or something um, locally here. And then within 24 to 48 hours, they're either being sold for sex and they they kind of jump on this bandwagon that goes from Atlanta to Miami to D.C. to Dallas or Houston and then out west. And then you just kind of do this thing where it just kind of circles through. You saw it with the Super Bowl that just came through here. Um it was a remarkable thing. The city of Atlanta and Georgia have been doing some spectacular work in the anti-sex trafficking realm. Some great work. But it's taken 10 years for us to get to the point, and it took an event like the Super Bowl to come in, and they began to recognize the reality of the numbers. I mean, if you listen to the CDC... One out of every four girls is sexually experiences some form of sexual exploitation by her 18th birthday. One out of every five guys experiences some form of sexual exploitation. Now, that's not always trafficking for sure. But the latest research and the only research that we have shows that the underground illegal sex economy, so this doesn't include adult establishments because those are legal establishments, the underground illegal sex economy um, in the state of Georgia is a $290 million illegal business. Think about that as $100 and $150 transactions. Our attorney general just a couple of weeks ago made the statement um, that while we slept last night, something north of 100 kids were, were bought and sold, which means those are code words because they're easier to say in public. They were raped repeatedly for money. No child chooses this. No woman, no adult, no boy, no man, no healthy person chooses this. And then coercion, which is the idea of pressuring drugs, alcohol, anything to impair decision, Coercion is even by law and by definition when you ask over and over and over and over and you finally wear someone down. That's coercion by the legal definition. What are some of the other tactics that the traffickers can use? Fear, intimidation, threats. Um, it's an incredibly common thing. We're working with a lady right now, a young lady right now, was living at home. And 91% of the kids who are trafficked in the state of Georgia, 91% of them at their time of their first time of exploitation are enrolled in school. So yes, this can be a homeless issue, and yes, this can be a runaway issue, and yes, this can be a foster care issue, and yes, 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 yes. But 91% of them were enrolled at school. The vast majority of them go home um, and sleep in their own beds at night. We're working with a lady right now who lived two doors down from her 16-year-old trafficker. And the, the rule was when a car pulled up in his driveway and sat there, she was to put on her bike helmet, jump on her little bike as a 13-year-old girl, ride down the sidewalk and pull into his driveway. And if she didn't come and he had to come get her, it would be far worse. 
So it's not just what sometimes what we often think, yes, people are kidnapped here and taken there. Yes, people are kidnapped there and brought here. Yes, there's some foreign components to it. There's some international components to it. Um, but the real issue is that most of the time human trafficking and sexual exploitation is our kids in our communities being bought and sold by members of our community. I think Chris said it early on, but if, I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad, and I don't even mean it tongue-in-cheek, but if you want to know what a, what a buyer of sex looks like, and if you want to know what a trafficker looks like, look to your left and look to your right. That's why it's so hard. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, I, I think I mentioned it in the video, I, I knew where the monsters were. They were under my bed. They were in the closet, and they were in the basement of this house where every once in a while I'd get to go babysit, and it just kind of bombard, I mean, you know, barricade the door so nothing can come up. But now our kids don't know. They coach our teams. They play community sports. They live in our neighborhoods. So all that is not to scare you. I, I mean, I know it's heavy and it's scary stuff. All of it is so that we can open our eyes to it. Because what's happening around the country and around the globe, but especially here in the U.S. and especially here in Atlanta, is this transition has been made now where we've said, okay, this topic is no longer taboo. We're going to talk about it. I mean, how could we not, right? Look at R. Kelly. You have to ask yourself, how does this happen where if we know about a dozen or dozens of people who have been victimized by him. How about, I mean, if, if the math works, and it almost always does, how about the hundreds we don't know about? And then you ask yourself, how does this happen? And it always comes back to money and power. The people that were closest to him were paid well to just be quiet and to facilitate this. And we're beginning to make inroads because because as we get closer and closer to those that facilitate these type things, being able to be prosecuted for it, we'll continue to see the dominoes fall. Look at Robert Kraft. I mean, you're talking about a billionaire who got busted for soliciting prostitution in massage parlors. What kind of bondage is that? And we are, admittedly, we are the kind of organization that we are thrilled that this has become a front-page issue. We are thrilled that he can no longer or should be no longer able to victimize other people by this. We are also brokenhearted for Robert Kraft. We're also brokenhearted for the people in his family and his friends and if there's children and all this other kind of stuff. They, they were victimized by this as well. And we're not soft. We have a vice president of policy. We're the only organization in Atlanta that has a vice president of policy, Kamala Wright, who was the state's chief human trafficking prosecutor under Attorney General Olins and now Attorney General Carr. And she joined the team to help us work on the prevention side. So she has testified down at the Capitol three or four times already this session on some fantastic human trafficking legislation that's coming through. You saw just in the last day or two, um, Governor Kemp's wife announced the formation of a grace coalition to stand up and fight and seek solutions for human se for sex trafficking and those who have been victimized by this around the metro Atlanta area. So this is, 
not just an issue in the schoolhouse, and it is. I mean, we're invited into, we are a Christ-centered organization that is freely invited into multiple, multiple, multiple public schools. Not because we're evangelistic, but because the recognition that this problem has become what it is, is undeniable anymore. And when you go to an administrator and you say, do you feel like your kids might be struggling with unwanted touch, pornography, sexting, sextortion, confusion about gender or gender issues, and you just kind of walk through the list about halfway through it, they're just nodding yes and waiting for you to end. Um, And so this is not just a legislative issue. It's not just a law enforcement issue. We partnered with the GBI about a year and a half ago, and in Gwinnett County alone trained almost 800 officers in 2017. And then, and then they're doing training all the time. Um, we're working with healthcare, Emory Healthcare, um, and a, a number of other healthcare organizations training OBGYNs, training pediatricians, training emergency department doctors and nurses, where folks, I think the statistic is something like 87% of those who have been victimized by this usually on more than one occasion have been through an emergency room or an emergency department um, and and it wasn't spotted or wasn't checked on at some point. Um, we're working with, look at organizations like Delta. Um, we were part of their get on board campaign that they rolled out about a year and a half ago and Delta's trained almost 60,000 of their 80,000 employees. Look at UPS who's trained over 80,000 drivers on how to identify it. In the city of Atlanta, we've even worked with sanitation department um, to train people. So there's so much exciting stuff happening. It feels like we're reaching kind of this tipping point. Um, And you may not like everything you see and you may not like everything you hear and you may or may not like the Me Too movement. Depends. It seems like it depends upon who's talking about it as to how I feel about it all. Um, but, but, But the good news is this is, this is table talk now. This is, you know, men's breakfast at Roswell United Methodist Church talk now. And that's how change occurs. Um, so it's a really, really exciting time to be in this. Um, that sounds like a horrible thing to say. I hate that I have, I mean, three and a half years ago, I was a graduate university president here in Metro Atlanta, a university called Richmond Graduate University. We had a campus here and a campus in Chattanooga. I knew that sex trafficking was occurring. We opened seven counseling centers and then we opened a mental health trauma center in Chattanooga and a mental health trauma center in Atlanta. I knew that this was occurring because everywhere we opened a center, sexual trauma, sexual abuse, sexual exploitation, harassment and trafficking almost immediately bubbled to the top. Everywhere we went, we were doing 24, 25,000 sessions a year in addition to graduating 60 to 75 master's level counselors. But one day I was walking down the campus and I saw that we had a human trafficking organization in that was um, giving a talk, a community time talk, kind of similar to this with her students. And I thought, oh, well, I'll do the good presidential thing and I'll stick my head in the back of the room for 10 minutes and then I'll go on to lunch. Um, And 55 minutes later, I was still standing there. And I don't remember the question. I just remember that the guy that was up front talking was telling a story about a sting operation that had just occurred, and it was a, co- a coordinated effort between the GBI, the TBI, and Homeland Security and some local law enforcement, and he was in the room. And in an unusual 
um, set of circumstances, a trafficker was arrested. Um, he was on site and was arrested, and that's very rare because they're usually off site and they're in the safe zone. Um, but this guy got arrested. He was handcuffed, and they were waiting on transportation. Jerry was talking to him and said, man, these law enforcement people said that they knew you. You've been arrested three other times for drug trafficking. Why on earth would you be doing sex trafficking now if you were successful at that? And the guy wasn't angry, he wasn't mad, he wasn't bitter. He just looked up and said, because I can sell a bag of drugs once. I can sell a 13-year-old girl six or eight times a night. Um, and I remember the moment that he said that and how I felt. And it's the first time in my life, I was 48, 49, it's the first time in my life I realized, oh, this isn't a cause. This is evil. And the longer I'm silent, the longer I let it survive. And the less I do, the more it thrives. And we were doing stuff as a university, but I went back to my hotel in downtown Chattanooga at the Marriott that night at 1030 at night. I'm laying in bed, and the lights and the TV are off, and I'm just crying. And I don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I, I'm not kidding. I, I genuinely, I knew it had been a rough day. I knew I'd just thought about this all day. I don't know why I'm laying there crying. I picked up the phone, and I called my wife, and I said, Melinda, I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm pretty sure my midlife crisis hit today, and, and I need a motorcycle. Um, and she said, in really polite way, you're so dumb. <laughs> just come home. Um, and so I did, and it started a conversation with us that candidly lasted about two years because when you work for not-for-profits, you don't get company cars and contracts. Um, but it got to the point where we were standing in the driveway one night, and we, I talked on and on and on about this for a couple of years. And I said, I, I cannot shake this. I would rather go try this and be wrong, I feel like, than to, than to stay in the comfort zone. And she just looked at me and said, Bob, I think you were made for this. And those of us in the room sometimes I can understand, it's not super often that Melinda and I are just 100% in sync. Um, and so I said, okay, you need to be really, really careful because if you mean that, I, I'm, I mean, I could literally resign tomorrow. And so shortly thereafter, turned in a notice, worked out a a 15-month transition so that the things that the school stayed smooth and, and jumped into the street grace thing. It's been the most fulfilling and most rewarding thing. And I'll tell you why as I close. Um, it's because of men. Just three years ago, this wouldn't have happened. I w I, three years ago, we were invited to, to rooms full of women all over the place. Okay. But three years ago, there weren't a lot of men that were sitting around. And some of you, I don't know, you may have been tricked. You may not have even known I was going to be here. Um, but the Because um, usually with rain and sexual exploitation and trafficking, attendance really dips. Um, but, um, but this wouldn't have happened. And I meant it when I said it earlier. The most exciting thing that's happening right now is men. Because men have been the part the, the, the most significant part of the problem. Men have been the ones that have fueled the issue. Men have been the ones that have struggled with pornography, with sexual issues. And men now 
are the ones that are coming forward and said, look, I may have had some issues or I may have be wrestling with some stuff, but I'm going to get it fixed and I'm going to get help if that's what's needed. But I'm not going to sit by anymore and just watch this happen because my kids and my grandkids are stepping into this thing and I don't care what it costs me, I'm ready to step out of the shadows. And that is cool because business people are doing it and athletes are doing it and celebrities are doing it and pastors are doing it and congregants are doing it and they're stepping out and they're saying, I'm, I'm not trying to protect me anymore. I may have wrestled or dealt with some of it, but this is not, not on my watch. Enough is enough. And that's how we change things. That's how society changes things. Um, so I brought some notes. I intended to use them. I did not. Um, it, but, um, but I do want to open up if there's uh, – we've got time for a couple of questions, if there's any at all. And, um, and then I will step back away and let us move on. I do want to wrap up by talking about the street teams before Chris comes back up. But, yeah. Uh, how do you interrelate with uh, Dave McCleary and, and human trafficking and the Rotary Initiative – and operationally, what's the the different ways in which you operate versus how they've been operating? Yeah, um, Rotary itself, um, the Rotary clubs have been phenomenally helpful. Um, the first initiative that we did in the school system was with the in partnership with Johns Creek Rotary, um, and we went into five middle and high schools in the Johns Creek area, not with the idea of changing curriculum, but we went in through the Interact clubs. I think all but one of them was through the Interact clubs, and we went in and met with a group of students and said, "We want to come alongside you, and over the next semester, we want to provide you the resources, financial." the resources creatively um, because we partner with Jackson Spalding, which is the PR firm of record for Chick-fil-A and Delta and some of the others. And we partner with BBDO, which is the largest um, marketing firm on the planet. Um, and so we want to bring the resources to bear for you to help you educate students in this school over the next semester or academic year. Um, and so the, the part and continue we're working right now uh, you know I don't know if you know Ted Bloom um, with Atlanta Rotary I was on the phone with Ted in his office just yesterday and in April September and October we're doing some uh, citywide initiatives that we're leading with the Atlanta Rotary and then I'm speaking at Buckhead Rotary in I think about six weeks I mean so the Rotary's been fantastic can you give some of the numbers to the guys that you mentioned before about Atlanta metro area specifically the triangle the, the whole bit just it's what blew me away when we first started talking about this a couple of years ago um, we say it's a worldwide problem we say it's a u.s problem but i mean how big a deal it is it is it here yeah um it, globally human trafficking which is the broader umbrella is about 150 billion dollar illegal business they're according to the international labor organization there are a little over 40 million people around the globe who are ensnared in I'm uh, in trafficking right now in some form of trafficking sex trafficking itself typically most of the research tells you accounts for somewhere between about 38 and 45 percent of those revenues in the U.S. the belief is that it's a little higher a percentage of the overall revenue in the U.S. Um, I don't know that I honestly don't know that anybody knows the answer but the 
estimates, most of them on the conservative side, that there's say that there's over a million people around the U.S. right now that are caught up in some form of slavery or, or sex trafficking itself. In Metro Atlanta, the only piece of research that we have on it that, that has kind of done a deep dive and looked at the illegal sex economy says that in the metro, not Georgia, but in the metro Atlanta area, this is about a $290 million a year problem. I personally... Um, through the work that we've seen, I can't imagine that that number hasn't gone down a little bit. Um, but somebody, you know, one time wanted to argue, and I said, well, what do you want the number to be, 100 million or 350 million? They're, they're both horrific. Let's just go to work. Um, and so when you look at that um, and that a child, especially, that is being trafficked or exploited in this way could be being bought and sold for 6, 8, 10, 12, 15 times a day, the damage that is occurring, um, a, a friend of, the, a, an acquaintance of mine is a guy by the name of John Ortberg who pastors out in California. We had him out for a conference, and someone asked him, and they were talking about his the relationship with God as our Father. And someone asked the question in the crowd, is not not scripted, but just said, "What do you do? What do you tell a child that's experienced sexual abuse or sexual exploitation in the home by a father?" And he just stood there for a second. And I thought, man, I'm so glad nobody's asking me that question. And he said, uh, I don't know of anything more harmful. I just don't know of anything more damaging to the human soul. And then he went on and unpacked it a little bit. Um, but but I think it's, it's a hard thought to think about. But I think it's important for us to remember this isn't a one-time thing. I mean, it can be occasionally, and that's awfully rare. But you're talking about, you're talking about, recurring stuff that could be a child or, or a woman or a man or a boy or a girl who's being bought and sold. And again, that means they're being raped for money um, in these circumstances, sometimes dozens and dozens of times a week. A week. We work with women who in Dunwoody were, were being sold 12 and 15 times a day, six days a week. Um, so, anything else? Yes. Great question. Um, we do not do the restorative care work. So everything we do, our, our, our kind of philosophy is we want to catch it before it occurs so there's no more pictures to show and no more stories to tell. Um, so we've, in the last week and a half, have been a part of two rescues. But that day, we had those people in a safe house with a partner organization that we work with around Atlanta. We do some follow-up just because there's kind of that initial relationship that kicks off with somebody so that they know they're still cared about. But we immediately get them into an organization that does that, a wellspring city of refuge out of darkness that we partner with all of them. And then we walk away and go straight back into what, what we need to be doing. The... Uh I understand the value and the need for the underage people. What about the people that are 19 and older? You don't necessarily target them. Does somebody target the yeah. older ladies? Yes. Um, I, I will close with this. If that Does that work on time? Okay. Um, one of the things that we did um, about a year and a half, with, I, I mentioned earlier that we had intercepted about 15,000 calls, and only one of those was not a man who was calling into purchase sex. Whether they were calling to purchase sex with a man, woman, uh, boy, or girl, it was a man on the other end of the phone. So in that, we were doing this thing called transaction intercept, and we were intercepting the calls. 
we had four women on one side of a conference room table who were posting decoy ads on escort and nefarious websites on the internet, um, advertising people for sale. We had four guys on the other side that had burner phones that correlated to the phone number of the woman who was sitting across the conference room table from them posting ads. We had data entry people between every one of them. So we would have crammed in this conference room, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 people to do this project and we would post the ads. You could post an ad in Roswell, Alpharetta, anything like that, and literally within five to seven minutes, your phone would start ringing. Not an uncommon thing at all. Not an uncommon thing at all within 24 to 36 hours of posting an ad to have over 200 phone calls um, for someone calling in on that one particular ad um, to try to schedule appointments. So we manually intercepted about 15,000 calls. We found out two things. There was about a 38% reduction in repeat callers because if their call got intercepted and we told them, you've just been intercepted, we're not law enforcement, but here's blah, 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 and we walk them through a script. The second thing is at the end of that call, well, no matter, no matter when, uh, who it was that called or when they called, from a one-time number, we would send them a text of a link to a private website that can't be found by doing a Google search that provides resources for help just a fraction over 15% of the guys were clicking through and taking the first step to connect with a resource for help. So that tells you a little bit about even the conflict that the people are feeling when they call in to do this um, and the battles that they face. Um, so in that, we thought those are pretty cool. It'd be neat if we could do this on a larger scale, but we just can't, we can't do more operations like this. So I went to a technology company and said, could you build a platform they could allow us to do this. They said, yes, it'd be about $80,000. And I said, okay, went back six, five more times. And on the sixth time, they said, because uh, my counteroffer was zero. Um, <laughs> and on the sixth time, I think to just make me go away, they said, okay, here's the deal. We'll do it if you can get all the partners around the table so that we know there's no chance we build this and it just sits on a shelf somewhere. So we went and got a global texting company, global telecom company, global heat mapping company, um, the CDC um, to help us get the science on it right, Kennesaw State University to help us get the math and statistics on it right, and it wound up getting institutional review board approval. So it is an academic, qualifies as an academic research study. Um, and we had all this that happened, and then all of it exploded, and we realized, okay, so the chatbot we've got will not be able to keep up with this kind of capacity. So I was meeting with an organization called BBDO. They said, how can we help you? We listed five things. They said, we'll do all five of them in 2018. Glad to do it. What else are you working on? And I mentioned this, and they said, we want to help. And I said, well, I don't think you can. All that we have left is we've got to get a very sophisticated chat bot, and we've reached out to Microsoft and IBM Watson and a couple of these other organizations. And they said, we'll build the chat bot. Um, and so they set out and did a hackathon and then put their IT department on it. And we did beta testing and everything. And nine months later, last October, we launched a chatbot called Gracie. So as you and I are standing here and talking today, Gracie's in 15 cities and eight states. And Gracie is a automated learning chatbot that chats like a 14-year-old black girl, white girl, Latino, and Asian, and a boy. So there are ads all over the Internet right now that are out there that are ours. They're not referenced or associated with Street Grace in any measurable way. We never use the same. We have a, a, about a 450 phone numbers right now. 
we've got about 120 photos and models who have donated their space. We do not, I mean, their pictures. We do not use nudity. They are provocative pictures. Some of them are women in lingerie. Um, but we don't, just for those that might be wondering, we don't go to the extreme. There's no other way that you can measure, track, or trace this back to street grace. Um, and, um, and so far this year, this, and the, this is a long answer to this affects women and, and children. So far this year, Gracie has been a part of over 50,000 texting conversations. And as of February 3rd or 4th, I haven't had an update since then, Gracie had disrupted 4,096 transactions so far this year. Um, so it's intercepting. This whole text conversation takes place. Gracie can negotiate fees, rates, in-call, out-call, sex acts, all of this kind of stuff. They have no idea they're not talking to a human being. Then at the end of the text and the conversation's over, they get a text that said, hey, and oftentimes we can use the name because they don't block caller ID. Hey, Bob, just wanted to let you know this entire conversation's been documented, recorded, and set up in a permanent file associated with your name and number. What you've just done is a felony in all 50 states in the United States of America is unpunishable by blah, blah, blah. Used to, they could scream, cuss, yell, and hang up on us, and it made them feel a little better. All they can do now is look at their phone and say, oh, no. Okay? Um, and then they get, I know they may say some other things, <laughs> but I, I, my mom raised me well. Um, the, uh, and, and then they will still get the text that sends them to far more specialized resources now. All of them, except for about two in all of the states that we do, are Christian-based, PhD-trained, trauma-informed, addiction specialist. Some of them are online, some of them are on the phone, some of them are local resource, some are free, some are not. And by <laughs> April or May of this year, if we can raise um, about another $18,000 or so, we will have a 10-week 10, 10 online anonymous but free course for anyone that wants to go through that, dealing with sexual issues and sexual addiction and sexually deviant behavior, taught by PhD-level addiction therapist. Um, and so some really cool stuff happening out there. I feel like I have pushed the limit. Um, I am happy to answer anything later and am and, and not in a huge rush to get out if you've gotten anything. But thank you so very much for letting me be here. I appreciate it. So I don't know how to follow that. Um, I, hope, I hope that was informative. I'm just going to talk for one minute and then get out of your way about how do we get engaged here and why did we think it was important for you guys to hear this message. Um, a couple of years ago, Nancy got us rolling on this and Marion's carried it on. We, we, in partnership with Street Grace, do some street team work, and, and it's how RUMC has decided to get involved in this, and it's, it's evolving over time. It will change in the future as we get better at it and as we learn what's going on. But our manifestation of this today is that we take teams to some of the extended stay hotels right here around uh, the Roswell area, where some of this may or may not go on. We do not do it in any kind of confrontational way. We don't kick doors down. We don't even knock on doors. We take food. We take the love of Jesus Christ, and we go talk to people that live in these hotels. We watch for signs of activity. We make ourselves available to um, somebody that might want to talk about this and then refer it to one of our <clears throat> Street Grace partners. 
what I'm what I'm trying to tell you is it's 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 not it's not scary. We're not necessarily on the front line. Um, we may be moving toward the front line as we learn more, but that's a that's kind of a churchwide decision on how we do that. We need more males involved. Um, it's mostly women that go today. Uh, I've been a couple times, and there are a couple other guys that have been along, so it's not exclusive. But you being there, um, you know, well, it sends a message. Um, it makes everyone else feel a little more comfortable because you're there. You get to share with some of the young men that, that don't have a male role model and that we've been able to talk to and play games with and talk about their studies. Um, so I don't want you to think this is a, a, a threatening, scary, confrontational type thing that we're getting into. I don't think any of our ministerial staff would want us to do that. Um, but, it, but it does give you great insight to some of the things that go on in our own community and, 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 and not even around necessarily sex trafficking, but how the, the, the people on the homeless spectrum live in some of these, uh, these places. So uh, you can learn a lot more. What you're up, you'll have opportunities this weekend uh, at our Global Impact Celebration to hear more about this. And you'll see things in your bulletin and Friday blasts as we go forward through the year. When another one happens, we typically do some training. And please make yourselves available if you feel led to do that to uh, come and participate with us. Okay. Thank you, guys. Jeff. Um, real quick, take out the sheet that's in the middle of your table. Uh, I want to just walk you through it real quick. Many of you are, have, have been through GIC before and know how all this works. Um, we just want to give you a chance to respond and get involved if you're not involved in any sort of missions thing or would like to or would just what's available and, and how can I help. There are four ways that you can help uh, at the top uh, to pray, to study, to serve, uh, or to give now. Uh, and so if you look on a quick turn to the other side, you can see the total of what uh, uh, missions money we raised last year. That's an incredible total uh, uh, going locally and internationally. And you've been a part of that. And so this weekend is a big uh, push to help educate folks, help celebrate the things that are happening within our church and community, uh, how Roswell United Methodist Church is reaching out. We want you to be a part of that and have that opportunity. So you can see under Give Now that we're trying to raise $75,000 this weekend. Uh, if you're able to give something to that uh, today or this weekend, uh, please take that, look it over, think about it, pray about it, and see what you can do. You can see the list of the four uh, organizations that these monies will go to. Uh, Bob, thank you for your presentation this morning. Thank you. And I hope that after hearing that, that you're wanting to figure out how can I help uh, financially. There has to be costs, and how can we help as a group? And then also, secondarily, is uh, a lot of the money on the, the flip side came through faith pledges. And that's simply a, an awareness that uh, over the course of this year, money will flow through your hands. You'll get a refund. You'll get a, uh, more on your taxes than you thought. Uh, so money will just kind of flow through your hands. We've just gone through a season of pledging for the church. But this, in addition to that, is uh, as God uh, gives me access to funds over the course of this year, here's what I would like to do. Here's how I can take that blessing uh, and uh, a generous way of receiving funds uh, and to share that with people 
in need. And so if there's a pledge that you're willing to make for this year, uh, then um, fill that out. There's an envelope and you can uh, turn that into Marion or the church office or uh, 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 leave it on your table and we'll be happy to pick it up. Thank you for being here and for considering uh, what your gift and, and uh, involvement might be. Thanks. Eric. A year ago, our GIC focused men's breakfast was about Bible translation. And quite frankly, it's kind of hard for me to relate to not having access to a Bible that's written in a language that I can read. This morning's GIC is a little closer to home. I cannot imagine seeing the lens of alter your life through Bob's eyes. If he'd been here and seen 400 youth in the sanctuary, what would he have seen? What would his x-ray vision have looked like different than ours? Because he has a perspective on what is going on in their lives that we probably didn't glimpse very much until this morning. Um, that is very close to home, and I am reminded of what would Jesus do, right? That, that uh, drives the, the our, our, our goal of being here together is to be open to those, how that will impact us on a day-to-day basis. If you were at all touched by what Bob said, and you know somebody maybe who needs to hear that from him because he does a marvelous job of relating a very difficult topic, and um, he is going to be speaking at the Sunday school, the 930 Sunday school hour in the A building. Greg, would you mind raising your hand for just a minute? Greg's in our Sunday school class, and we're doing a joint Sunday school class with several others, and Bob will be speaking at 930. So if you were moved or know somebody who might want to hear Bob firsthand, um, they can be here at Sunday uh, at 930. And 11. And 11. Do you know where he's speaking at 11? And the Discovery classroom. In the Discovery classroom. Right in the sanctuary right across from the restrooms. The Excellent. Classroom. So at least two more times where you can hear Bob. I'm hoping this recorded, this will be on our podcast. If you ever miss and you would like to tell somebody or you would like to catch up, we do have a podcast that we try and let people stay in touch. It uh, means a lot to do that. I want to thank everybody for being here this morning. I was nervous because I knew that this topic um, was my, might, might not be PG, PG-13. And so when we step out on faith and it turns out to be a good thing, that, that, builds, that builds God's muscles in us. And uh, sometimes it's a little stressful as we build those muscles. But I am grateful for a community uh, that I trust and will uh, be looking forward to being together again. And, and will be the first week of April. Now, um, you might know we have a new choir director, Michael Cromwell. If you've not gotten to meet him up to this point, if you're here the first week of April, you will get to meet him. Um, I, we, uh, we're, the choir is just really enjoying getting to know him. He's gotten us to look up for my music, which is easier if you don't have it in front of you. And uh, he even got us dancing in church on, on Sunday. So all, all, all things are possible. So I want to thank everybody again for uh, being here this morning. Uh, Have a wonderful GIC weekend. Be in prayer for all the teams that are going into this and all the stress that goes into the logistics, that it all might go smoothly. Um, Thank you again for being here this morning.